Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, the, my sermon today has a lot of Scripture in it. So we're going to hit a whole lot of Scriptures. You're not going to be able to turn to every one of them. Just follow along with the screen. Or I even I highly recommend that you get the sermon notes on the app and you can follow along there. Because we're just going to hit a lot of these verses and keep moving today. We're going to talk about some principal things today that I think are very much going to help you. I think you're going to be shocked to find that this stuff is in the Bible. But God wants to bless every area of our life, including the one we're going to talk about today. Here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. If you're there, say amen. amen. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, here's the thing. It is okay to not be satisfied with your income. That's not necessarily a problem, okay? I imagine if we polled a lot of you in this room, you'd say, I'm not exactly satisfied with my income today. That doesn't mean you're ungodly. That doesn't mean you love money or wealth. But what we do know is, if you love money and you love wealth, you'll never have enough money and you'll never be satisfied with your income. I think we ought to ask ourselves this question, when is enough enough? I don't want to live my life on, on this rat race and this chase when I'm trying to reach a goal, but every time I get close to it, the goal is fleeting, and so I'm never able to attain it. At some point, I want to get to the place in life where I can say, you know what? God has blessed me in this area, and I can call that done, and I can go chase another dream. Now, I don't want to ever stop chasing dreams, and I don't want to ever stop going after the next thing that God has for me, but if I fall in love with money, I'll end up with my head down chasing money and chasing wealth, and I'll lose track of everything else that is going on, and I'll never actually attain enough. When is enough enough? So I think there has to be this balance between, uh, you know... I, I'm, I'm reaching for the promises that God has for me. I'm reaching for the wealth that he said I have the ability to attain and produce. But I also don't want to be in love with it. So I've got to find this balance. I think generosity is one of the measurements uh, of, of whether or not we love money or, or if we're just wanting the blessings of God in our life. Uh, are, are you willing to give anything away for those that receive that you can uh, get nothing in return for? You're, if you're unwilling to give, I have to question, have you fallen in love with money? And I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity. Um, I, I think another place that we measure is, are you willing to save and invest, or are you spending everything that you get? We talked about in Proverbs 21 and 20 last week, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. They spend whatever they get. In the NIV, it says that, that the wise man stores up choice food and olive oil. He's saving. He's investing. The wise have because they're willing to save uh, for their future. I talked to you last week about how that 70% of Americans are currently living paycheck to paycheck. That means seven out of the ten families in this room are living paycheck to paycheck. Here's another one for you. 60% of Americans do not believe that they will have enough money to be able to retire at age 65. 60%, that's, that means two-thirds of Americans don't think they'll be able to retire at age 65. They won't have enough money, so that they'll have to keep working. Here's another one for you, because it's not just about being able to retire. It's about how you're living right now. 
the average American couple has a significant argument. I don't mean like a little spat, but a significant argument. I also doesn't mean doesn't have to necessarily mean you you had a you know a seven day fight with throwing things and slamming of doors, but a, a significant disagreement on finances three times a week. American couples on average, I'm sorry, three times a month, they're having significant fights about money. You say, well, Pastor Renner, that's all those young families that, you know, they don't have any money. They're trying to buy diapers and raise kids. Actually, when couples that are 40 years old and older, it actually increases to four times a month. The older we get, the more we're fighting about money. I'm not 40 yet, so I'm still in the three-time-a-month category. <laughs> Feeling good about myself. So the, our, our lack of, of our finances and wealth and future planning is not only in affecting our future and our ability to retire, but it's affecting our marriage right now. And how many of you know when your marriage is out of whack, it seems to affect everything in your life? It's affecting us right now. But I, I think there's hope for that. I think there are things that we can do. Proverbs 13 and 7, verse from last week. One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. What are you doing? Are you pretending to be rich or not? Proverbs 12 and 9. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be a somebody and have no food. I'm not, I'm not going for social status. I'm not going to have so much stuff and so much money that everybody will look at me and say, man, that guy is rich. That's not my goal in life. I'm not trying to be a somebody except I'm trying to do all I can for the kingdom of God. And I'll just tell you, it takes money to accomplish every purpose that God has given you in your life. It's going to take money. And so I, I'm trying to be a nobody in the kingdom of God and yet at the same time, that nobody that has enough wealth at the time to be able to afford servants. I don't have any servants in my life right now. Nobody, I don't have anybody that just walks around trying to, trying to uh, take care of everything in my life and I'm, and I'm paying them because I'm that blessed. But here's what, here's, what this, here's what Solomon wrote. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and yet you are broke as a joke. Well, let's keep going. I, I know this is, this, is, uh, this is not fun preaching right here, but we're, we're going to get somewhere. Proverbs, actually, it's not going to get any better. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, I was just, it's just not my favorite sermon today. I just, I just put this out there. I was driving over here. I was like, man, can I preach something else, Lord? And he's like, no, you will preach what I told you. And I'm like, yes, sir. Okay. Proverbs 13 and 15. A wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. A wise man is looking forward into his future, and as he's already said, he is saving and he is storing up, but a fool spends every nickel that he has and even brags about it. There's five things you can do with your money. Five things. Five basic things. Number one, you can earn it. How many know you can earn money? You can do something to earn money. Number two is you can spend it. Do we have any spenders in the room? Hallelujah. I mean, y'all are lying. Y'all are lying right here in the house of the Lord. Lord Jesus, just know that, let your grace cover them all right now. Man, we can spend some money. Hey, look, I can spend some I'll be honest with you, I can spend money. It doesn't take me long. I don't even have to get creative. I can just spend money. It just could. Number three, we could save it. 
Oh, that's not fun, Pastor Randy. No one likes saving money. Number four, we could invest it, right? This is where we're investing money that are, it's growing for our future. And number five, we can give it. I guess if you could add number six, it would be you could burn it. <laughs> but, but five basic things that we can do with money. Now here's the deal. There, there are extremes to both sides that can get us in trouble. Let's go to earn money. On the one hand, you can spend so much time trying to earn money, trying to earn more and more and more, that you sacrifice the things you value in life, your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your family and your friends, because we're so busy trying to earn it that we sacrifice the things that really matter. On the other hand, we don't spend any time trying to earn it, and we're just trying to live off of other people and asking God to open up the windows of heaven over our life and pour out blessings so there's no, enough room to contain it, and yet we're not outdoing the, the Word of God, and I'll show you in a minute, which is to work hard. Or we can be spenders, extremes. The people that can just, I mean, listen, I, I think we all have this capability. Spending money is a little bit addicting, it has this addictive nature to it. When you start spending it, when you walk in through the mall, you, you know, you go into the one store and you buy the one thing you need, but then as you're walking through, you're like, maybe we should just go check that store. And then, and then you're in there. Many say, well, I don't go to the mall. Yeah, that's okay, but you walk through Academy and you know how it goes. You, first, you hit the golf section and you need golf balls. You got to get the expensive ones. They're not going to help you any better, but somehow you think you're going to be Tiger Woods if you can use the expensive ones. But then you got to move on down. Then you need some tennis shoes, so you know, one pair turns a two pair then you go on around the camping session you haven't camped in 27 years but man that lantern it could really help you in case of emergencies and next thing you know we spending money it, it's a little bit addicting you buy the new house you need the car to go with it you need the furniture to fill it right spending money on one hand we're spending I told you last week we're spending a dollar 22 for every dollar we earn that's a problem on the other hand we spend money that we don't have. Or we're not spending enough at all because spending money is one of the ways that we give value to things. Like it or not, it's a reality. And so we don't spend enough money to declare value. I'll give you a for instance. In two days, Pastor Lindsay and I will celebrate 14 years of marriage. Yeah. And I know what you're thinking. She doesn't look old enough to be married for 14 years. I agree with you. Um, and she's not here right now, but you make sure you tell her I said that, okay? <laughs> I'm counting on you right now. Here's the deal. My, uh, uh, spending money on my wife, uh, is uh, buying her gifts and things is not her love language. But there does come a point in time where if I never spend any money on her, and for our anniversary, I say, hey, babe, you know, we're not spending any money this year. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to swing by Taco Bell on the way home, and we're going to Netflix a, flix a movie at the house, and we're going to celebrate 14 years. Be like, no. Because at some point, spending money on her gives her value, gives our relationship value. All right? And ladies, can you all agree with me? All right, it's your anniversary. Hey, man, you know, I'm not trying to get you to take me to Hawaii necessarily, but, you know, you can take me to Saltgrass at least, you know. <laughs> so there's, there's extremes. Save it. On one hand, we cannot save anything. And when the storms of life come, because how many of you have lived long enough to know that storms are going to come and you're going to need some savings and we don't have it because we've spent it all. Or on the other hand, 
Saving can very quickly turn to hoarding. Also a problem. Number four, investing. We can invest uh, not enough and we have no plan for our future. One of those 66% who don't think you can retire at age 65. Or, on the other hand, we invest so much that we can't afford to pay our bills right now. You're saving for the future and investing in the future. Well, my God, I can't, you know, I don't have anything to live on now. There's no groceries in the, in the pantry because we've got to invest everything. Well, okay, there's a balance in life. Then we can give it. On the one hand, we give nothing and we lack a generous spirit. We lack a um, giving spirit, which is one of the principles in the Word of God. Or, on the other hand, we give so much that we're not able to take care of the things we're supposed to take care of because we're giving everything away. Again, on all of these things, we've got to find this place in the middle where God wants us to be. Extremes will get us in trouble on either side. Five things you can do with your money. Now, I want to talk to you today about number three and number four, saving and investing. And I want to give you some principles today from the Word of God to help you with these things. Because here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. All right, so we're going to go to the ants now. Here's what Solomon says. You're going to go to the, one of the smallest creatures we have, and you're going to learn from them. Number one, he says, though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. No one is forcing them to get up and go to work. They labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter number of things that we'll, we'll talk about here and one is the value of hard work we'll talk about that in a minute but number two is the ants understand something I have to gather food when it's time to gather because there's a time coming when I won't be able to gather food I want to make sure that I have something stored up and so this so, so the the wise man is saying to us take a lesson and learn from them L gather when it's time to gather so when there's nothing to gather you won't starve Save when you can save and invest when you can invest because there's going to come a time in your life when you're not making the money you used to make and you're going to need to have something saved up. If I don't save while I can, I'll starve when I can't. If I don't save while I'm able to, while I'm earning an income and I'm at the prime of my life, I'll starve when I'm no longer able to earn an income. Two ways we make money. Number one is this, people making money people making money first way that we all earn money is when we invest our time our energy our ability how many of you are going to go to work tomorrow somewhere doing something and you are going to be paid or this week something like, I'm, tomorrow's my day off okay it's mine not mine too you get the principle though we're going to go to work and i'm going to invest my time my energy my ability my knowledge depending on what you do my craftsmanship and I am going to be paid for that. You know, the Bible teaches us, and we just learned it from the ants here, but it's also all throughout Scripture, is the value of hard work. We ought to be working hard at whatever we do. We ought to be working hard. Now, working hard looks different today than it did years ago. Uh, I remember having a conversation uh, uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago with my grandfather, who's here with us today, and my grandfather grew up on the cotton plantations in Mississippi. He grew up picking cotton. He came from a family that didn't have much, much money at all. 
but they learned the value of working hard with your hands and picking cotton. Well, by the time I came around and I started working, I would go to work. I'd come to work here at the church or wherever I was working, and I'd work hard, but my work often involves meetings. It often involves my computer. It often involves a phone, things like that. And, and my grandpa got home to me one day, and he said, you're not working hard, buddy. And so we talked about how the differences in generation from his mindset was working hard meant physical labor, sweating down. My grandpa's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in my life. Even at 91 years old, he's working, he's doing something every day. He works hard. But today's version of working hard can often look different. And it's very easy to look at a young generation and say that they're a lazy generation. And, and there are some just like the same thing that, that Solomon wrote, learn from the ants, you lazy bones. I mean, there are some lazy people in today's generation. But, as, but that doesn't mean that everyone is lazy just because they're doing a different kind of work than maybe you did or maybe I did. And I think we've got to recognize that, but we should always be teaching the value of a hard work. Whether you go to work tomorrow and you're working with your hands. There are people that are going to go to work tomorrow and you have a skill set with your hands. Maybe you're an electrician, maybe you're a carpenter, maybe you're a home builder, maybe you work heavy equipment. But you have a skill set. Work hard at it. Others, you're going to go to work and you're going to use your brain. You're going to be doing taxes. You're going to be doing accounting work. Uh, you're going to be doing, uh, maybe you're going to be teaching. Whatever you are, you're using your brain more than necessarily you're working up a sweat. Work hard at everything you do. So, Pastor Randall, why are you talking so much about working hard? Because it's a biblical principle and it's a bib biblical value. Here's what Paul said in 2 Th Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. While we were still there with you, we gave you this rule. He who does not work shall not eat. I didn't write this, so don't get mad at me. Just blame it on the Apostle Paul. He said, this is the rule. He who does not work shouldn't eat. We ought to be all be working hard. Proverbs said it like this. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber what a verse that is what is he saying you get in the habit of taking a little bit off and a little bit off and not giving it your all and not working hard resting a little bit more sleeping in a little bit later going to bed a little bit sooner and the next thing you know you that's taken over your whole mindset and Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. We've got to work hard, but you know what? We're not just working hard for ourselves or for other people. Here's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Whatever you do, whatever you do, nurse, school teacher, business owner, uh, craftsman, you work at a refinery, whatever it is you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters listen don't just go to work tomorrow and work hard because your boss is on you and you're trying to work hard for him no 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 we work because we're working under the Lord we, we, we are hard workers because this is this is a biblical value and here and here's why and, and let me just read you this next verse uh, if they could throw it on the screen for me and then I'll show you here's what Paul said do everything without complaining and arguing. How many of you know 
there are some complainers and arguers at work. They're always murmuring and complaining about something, just whining about this and whining about that and upset about this and upset about that and always complaining, why do we have to do this and why do we have to do that? Here's what he says. For you, Christians, you believers do everything without complaining and without arguing. Next part of the verse. So that one, no one can criticize you. Hey, you don't want to be the one that when people go home, they're talking about how you're always murmuring and complaining and whining and never working hard. Here's why. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Here's what Paul is saying. If you're the guy at work that's lazy, never works hard, always complaining, always murmuring, always grumbling, and then all of a sudden you walk in one day and you want to shine light and be, be a witness and say, hey man, let me pray for you. Let me invite you to church. People are not going to listen to that. Think about the person you work with that's always all those things, murmuring, complaining, upset, whining. You know, you got them in, their, in your mind right now. You don't have to tell me. Don't, point around, don't be pointing around the room right now. Right, none of that. But you know the person. What if they came in tomorrow and said, let me tell you about Jesus and the love of God. You'd be like, dude, you ain't telling me nothing. You lazy bones. And here's what Paul is trying to teach us. Our hard work and diligence is connected to our ability to be a light to, in a dark world in a perverse generation. You can't be a witness if you're also lazy and murmuring and complaining because you have no credibility. I know this is not fun preaching today, but sometimes we got to look at what the Bible says and be real with our own life. It's fun to talk about, God, I want to gain wealth, and you've given me the ability to produce wealth, but yet at the same time, we're not working hard, and we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. People uh, making money. It's part of our witness to work hard and to give it all we have because I'm not doing it for someone else that I work for. Oh, my boss is unsaved, Pastor Rand, and he's evil. You don't even understand. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it as unto the Lord. The second level is money making money. So the first level is people making money. The second level is when our money starts making money for us. We see this principle illustrated in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus gives us a great parable which has so many uh, meanings to it and, and levels of understanding to it. But I'm just going to give you the very first and most basic level of understanding of this parable. Jesus comes up and he's, he says there's a master, there's a, there's a boss, there's an owner and he's about to leave and go on some travel. So he calls his three servants to him. And he gives them each an amount of gold. He gives one guy five bags of gold. He gives another guy two bags of gold. And he gives the third guy one bag of gold. And he says, now listen, while I'm gone, I want you to make some money for me. I want you to do something with it. Do my business while I'm gone. So he goes and he comes back. The first guy comes in that he gave five to. And he says, how'd you do? And he said, man, I took your five and I turned it into ten. I doubled your money. And the master says, well done. I'm going to give you more. The next guy comes in. He said, how would you do? Well, well, master, you gave me two. What would you do with it? I doubled it and turned it into four. He says, well done. I'm going to give you more. The last guy comes in. And he says, how would you do? Well, you gave me one. Well, I knew you were a tough master. And I knew that you liked to harvest where you didn't plant. And, and that you were sometimes difficult to work for. So I tell you what I did, master. I saved your money because I didn't want to lose it. And I saved it. And here it is. I put it in a mayonnaise jar in the backyard. And I'm bringing it back to you. And the master said, you are wicked. Get out of here and he took from him and he gave it to the one who had five a couple things we want to note here first of all 
The Bible is very clear. Jesus says he gave to each one of them according to their own ability. Here's what Jesus is teaching this principle. That there are people in life that may have more ability than you and there are people that may have less ability than you. We can get mad at it. We can say it's not fair. Yeah, but Jesus, that wasn't fair. Everyone should have gotten the same. No, no, no. Jesus, God is a steward. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and, and the fullness thereof. Everything in there belongs to him. Every dollar that I have actually belongs to the Lord. And so when he is, when he is doling it out, when he is passing it out, he is looking according to ability. And he's saying, I want to give you according to your ability. Now, here's the good news about ability. We talked about this in week one. Uh, I, I, yes, I might have a certain amount, but if I, can, if I have a little bit, ability is something I can get better at and I can learn it. So I'm not going to get mad at God and say, God, why haven't you given me more? Why? Because God is a good steward and he's not going to give me more than I have the ability to take care of and to do with. For instance, at, in the business world, there's something called over-promoting. Some of you may be aware of this. Here's what happens. An employee, maybe you, works your way up the ladder and you become, let's say, the top salesman in your company. And you are absolutely killing it. I mean, you are making so much money for the company, so much money for yourself. Everyone loves you and talks about how great you are. So the bosses come in and now they need a new supervisor. So they look at their top salesperson. They say, you're such a good salesperson. We're going to promote you to be a manager. Well, then maybe that person is not capable. They don't have the ability to be a manager. So what we end up then having to do is the, the company ends up firing them, not because they weren't a great salesperson, but because they weren't able to be a good manager. It's called over-promoting, promoting beyond your ability. Then you end up losing your job and everyone's frustrated when if we had left you where you were, you would have continued to produce and we would love you, but now you've lost your job because you were over-promoted. This is a reality that happens all the time in the business world. It's called over-promoting, taking someone that is great at where they are, but they don't have any more ability. Um, when if we'd have just left them alone, they would have been fine. God doesn't over-promote very often. He's a wise steward, and he says, I want, to, I want to bless you, but if you'll increase your ability, I'll increase what I've given you. I think we ought to spend a lot less time worrying about what opportunities we didn't get and spend a lot more time preparing ourselves for the opportunities we're yet to get. You want me to say that again? I think we ought to spend a lot less time worrying about the opportunities we didn't get and spend a lot more time preparing for the opportunities that we're yet to get. Because God's given us ability, but we can work with it. God, I want to increase my ability so I can move from the guy who got two to the guy who got five. Now, let me get back to the principle here. First thing that we see is that he gave each according to their own ability. The second is, when, God went to, when the master went to the last one, he said, listen, you didn't do anything with my money. You could have at least invested it, and I could have earned interest. This is level one of money making money. But notice what he says in Matthew 25 and 16. And I'm going to read you this verse. He's talking to the guy with five. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, and he put his money to work. Notice, he didn't go out necessarily and work any harder himself. But what he did was, he put his money to work and he gained five bags more. 
The key, one of the keys to gaining great wealth in our life is not just us going out and working harder. That's level one. But level two is putting our money to work for us. So while I'm out working hard, earning more, my money is working. Even while I'm sleeping, even while I'm on vacation, even while I'm at church this morning, my money is earning money. Does that make sense? And, and this is one of the things that God wants us to do. Put our money to work for us. Three quick rules of investing. Number one, we find in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 through 4, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Number one rule of investing is this. Resist the temptation to invest in things that you don't understand. First off, get an education. Get with a financial advisor, a retirement expert, and learn some things. Don't just invest wise, uh, unwisely and just throw money at different places because you'll probably end up losing a good portion of it. Get some help. Get some understanding. Here's what he said. Wisdom, a house is built. It, it takes wisdom to know how to build the house. It takes wisdom to know how to build wealth. We're not just necessarily born knowing it all. So go get some wisdom. Understanding you can create a plan that will last I don't want to just build wealth that's going to be here and then gone, but I want something that will last from generation to generation. Number three, it takes knowledge to know how to fill it. So you can build this great house, but it takes knowledge to know how to fill it. And so we have to get wisdom and understanding and knowledge. It keeps you in focus on your long-term goals. If you don't have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, I encourage you, get help. Get help. Get help. Doesn't mean you're not smart or intelligent. It means that you're wise. Wisdom is getting help. Number two, Ecclesiastes 11 and 2. Uh, this is a scripture I bet most of you didn't know was in here. But divide your um, investments among many places, for you do not know what risks may lie ahead. The second uh, principle is this resist the temptation to put all of your eggs in one basket. Resist the temptation to put all of your eggs in one basket. There are a number of other versions that I did choose to read here to you. But they say, actually, he says to uh, divide your investment in seven or eight places. So when the storm comes, you'll be protected. What's the principle is this. If you put all your eggs in one basket, put all your eggs in the stock market, and the stock market crashes, you've lost all of your eggs. You know what, the, you know what it means. You, you thought that someone else came up with that. That's actually Bible from thousands of years ago. Because the, here's what's happening. Storms are going to come. And if, we're, if our investments are divided, we'll be able to weather the storm. But if we've put them all in one basket, we'll sink. Because storms are going to come. Um, number three. Are you all okay this morning? Okay, are we learning? All right. Number three is this. Um, Proverbs 13 and 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Number three, resist the temptation to try to get rich quick. You try these get-rich-quick schemes, as quickly as you make it, your money will disappear. As quickly as you make it, you can lose it. I, I'm not saying that there is never a time in your life when God gives you an opportunity and in a very quick order, he elevates your life and moves you forward. Those things do happen. But for the most part, the way the kingdom of God works is on seed, time, and harvest. 
planting a seed, working the ground, giving it time, and then reaping a harvest. That's mostly how the kingdom of God works. Yes, I've seen occasions where God walks into someone's life, steps into someone's life, and just elevates them. And hey, listen, I pray that you have one of those. But we've got to be on the lookout for get-rich schemes. I want to build wealth God's way, slowly over time. But not only does our money disappear, it affects us. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But people who long to be rich soon, they're going for those get-rich schemes, they begin to do all kinds of wrong things to get money. Things that hurt them and make them evil-minded and finally sending them to hell itself. Because it's a slippery slope. We started out right. Started out with the principles in the Word of God. It is, remember, it is the Lord who got, your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to prosper even as your soul prospers. He wants you to prosper in your life. So we start out in this good place, but we're going to try to take shortcuts to get there. So we end up going after these get-rich schemes. And we end up trying to get it quickly and attain it quickly. And you know what we end up doing? Oftentimes, we end up doing things we never thought we would do to try to reach a goal quicker than we ever thought we could get there so we make sacrifices to our personal ethics our personal morals and you know what it begins to wither away at your walk with God and you look over and over the course of time you have become a person you never thought you'd become you're doing evil things and the end result it's one of the reasons why we can't afford to fall in love with money is because the end result is Paul said, you end up in hell itself. It's a slippery slope. Our eyes have to always be on God, always looking to Him. It's why that He said to us, remember it is the Lord your God who gives us the ability to get wealth. If God elevates you overnight, thank the Lord your God. Don't do it with a quick, a get-rich-quick scheme. All right? Three rules. Sometimes it seems uh, that things are too hard and probably can't get there. There's no way to do it. But here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 13 and 22. Two verses, and we're going to close this morning. Good people leave an inheritance for their grandchildren. Now, remember I started this morning where I said two-thirds of Americans don't think that they'll be able to retire at age 65. They won't even have enough. You see, the, the first level is we're just trying to retire and get to the end of our life. We're just trying to slide into the grave and have enough money to get there. That's level one. Level two is, you know, I've got a little bit, and when I die, I'll be able to leave something to my kids. Maybe it's a little, maybe it's a lot, but I'll be able to leave something to my children. That's a better place to be, and I hope you get there. I want to leave something to Randy and Kennedy when I die. I want to bless them. But you know what? Here's what the Bible wants for us. He wants us to get over here to level three, where not only am I leaving something to my kids, but I'm leaving something to my grandchildren. The principle is here. I am leaving something that will last beyond my generation, but will continue to be a blessing from generation to generation. I don't have grandkids, obviously, but I hear they're a lot of fun. And so I, I only wanted two kids. That's all I wanted. But I want a lot of grandkids. 
I want a lot of grandkids. It looks like so. You guys look like you're having so much fun. My dad just is, he is happy. I've never seen him so happy as when he had all these grandkids. He just loves grandkids. So I just, I just feel like grandkids, a lot of grandkids would be so much fun. Spoil them up, pack them down with donuts, and then send them home. It's just wonderful. You know, don't make them do their homework. Nah, you can do it when you get home. Ah, you know, uh, I mean, just this, this seems like a lot of fun. Man, when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to, as I'm on my deathbed, be- deathbed, be able to look at all of them and say, you know what? I'm leaving you this, and I'm leaving you this, and I'm leaving you this, and I'm leaving. I don't want to skate to the grave and having spent everything I have, but I want to leave an inheritance, not just to my kids, to, but to my grandkids. That's, that's what God wants for us. That's what I want for you. I don't want you to just barely make it, but I want you to get there with something to leave. Now, you say, well, Pastor Renan, there's no way we can do it. I just can't do it, man. I can barely pay my bills. I don't know how to make it work. Let me show you how, how God could help you get there. Because I believe you can earn enough, enough in your lifetime to leave an inheritance, not just to your children, but your grandchildren. I believe that you can. So I don't make a lot of money, Pastor Renan. Not the point. Can I show you? Last week I showed you some numbers and so many people said, I got great reports. Well, apparently there's other people like me that like to see numbers. Can I show you some really quickly? I know they're already playing the closing music. You're doing a beautiful job wherever you are. There you are. Uh, but, but let me show you these numbers. Look, if you were to invest $5 a day, about $150 a month over the course of your life, it never increases. All you do is make 10% interest on your money. In five years, you'd have $12,000. In 10 years, you'd have $31,000. In 20 years, you'd have $113,000. 30 years, you'd have $325,000. Hey, we're talking about leaving something to our grandkids now, aren't we? We're talking about paying for some grandkids' college funds. <laughs> hey, if you started at 20 and retired at age 70, you would have $2,300,000. Your grandkids would love you. You would be the favorite. It's doable. It's doable. Hey, what about this? If you made $50,000 a year and you were to invest 10% of it, which comes out to about $416 a month, let's say you never had an increase, you never got a raise, you never put in any more, but you just invested 10%, which is $416 a month at 10% interest. In five years, you'd have $33,000. Ten years, you'd have $87,000. You can go on down there. Look there. If you started at 20 and you got to age 70, and you continued, look what you'd have, $6,391,255. I mean, you would just have some dough. It's doable, but you've got to get started. You've got to get going. Now, let me, let me show you these next set of numbers here. Your total contribution on that one we just showed, you would only be actually putting in $249,000. You started with two bags of gold. But here's what would happen over the course of your life. You got all the way to the end. The interest you earn would be $6,141,000. Here's the truth. Most of us, our lifetime earnings at our job would never be close to that. Even people with good jobs, you would never get close to that. But if you could just invest a little bit a month, your money can earn for you more than you could ever earn for yourself. Now watch this. If you could go from 10% to 12%, that $6 million would turn into $13,418,000. Your family would never have to struggle for money again. Your grandkids would never have to struggle because you could set them up. You say, well, you know, I wasn't able to afford to go to college. Every, I don't care if you've got 20 grandkids, you can send them all to college 
the best college you want, wherever they want to go, you could send. How many of you say, that would just be a great blessing to say, you know what, at the end of my life, I want to leave enough money that all of my grandkids get a college education. How cool would that be? I want to leave enough money that at the end of my life, I buy every one of my grandkids their own home and they never have to be renters in their life, never have to be lenders in their life. task is daunting, Pastor Randon, and I don't know if I can do it. I was reminded this week as I was praying and praying for you today that sometimes the task seems so enormous that we're unable to get it done. God took me back to David, who was an old man. He was at the end of his life, and he was looking at Solomon, who was about to be king. And he said, Solomon, I've gathered all this stuff, but you've got to build the temple. This was an enormous task, a daunting task, an overwhelming task. Here's a young king. He's about to have to fight his brothers just to keep the kingdom. He's got all these things going on. And yet, David says, you can do it. He encourages him with these words. Can I read them to you? I want them to be an encouragement to you as well. Be strong and courageous and get to work. Don't be frightened by the size of the task. For the Lord my God is with you, and He will not forsake you. He will see to it that everything is finished correctly. I want to leave you with this blessing. Be strong and courageous and get to work. Because God is with you, and He's going to see to it that you're going to complete and finish every task laid before you. You can do this thing. You can do this thing. I want to pray for you as we close today uh, and, I, and I want to do, actually do two things I, I want to pray for you that you could get on board that you can tackle this thing and that you could accomplish everything that God has laid before you if we get started get, get busy get to work that's what David said to Solomon get to work be strong be courageous and get to work we got to get to work on this deal it's not too late wherever you are it's not too late get with a financial advisor now I want to pray for you um that God would always be with you and he would help you to complete every task that he set before you. But the second thing I want to do today, as we close, um, so we're going to pray for that, but then I also, I want to pray for our nation. Obviously, there's some big events going on this week. I don't know if you've noticed. Maybe you've been hiding under a rock somewhere. Uh, And I want to pray, first of all, for President Obama and his family as they go into the next season of their life. I was watching some videos from him. uh, uh, He and uh, uh, Michelle Obama this week and they were talking about um, some work they want to do in the south side of Chicago and then spread out around the country so Chicago is one of the most violent cities uh, actually is the most violent city we have in this nation right now and so I think that's a great place and I want to pray that God would bless their endeavor and they would make an impact and whatever they do there could spread around around this country and make a big impact and I want to pray that God blesses them for their time served uh, in giving to this nation there are people in this room that love them and agree with them there are people in this room that do not either way they served our nation and I want to pray the blessings of God over their life secondly I want to pray for President Trump and his family I I, I want to pray that God would overwhelm him with the power of the Holy Spirit we're all in this ship together we need him to make wise decisions not just smart decisions but we need him to make godly wise decisions Uh, it affects all of us those that love him and those that hate him we're all affected so man holy spirit speak to him and use him uh, to to move our nation forward closer to where god wants us to be does that sound okay 
I hope it does because that's our biblical mandate. Stand with me if you would. So I'm going to pray for you first and then we'll pray for our nation. I want you to join in with me as we pray. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Father, that you have, you have called us that we can leave behind more than maybe we started with. We can leave a great inheritance to our grandchildren, not just barely making it, but God, we could leave something to help those coming behind us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to get to work to get to work and father you're going to bless us you're going to bless the work of our hand you're going to bless our ability to it we're going to increase our ability god we're going to work hard and you're going to bless us as we do so and then lord you're going to bless every investment for the people in your kingdom lord when the stock market goes up and the stock market goes down your people are going to continue to rise because lord we're trusting in you and in your kingdom so bless your people now Father, we pray for President Obama and his family. I'm so grateful that he was willing to sacrifice his life, his time, his energy. Lord, I pray first of all that you would give him rest. That you would give him the ability to be revived and energized as he enters his next season. Lord God, bless them. Bless his girls. Bless his daughters. Bless his wife, Lord Jesus. Give them a great rest of their life to do great things according to your will. And Father, as they start on their next endeavor, Lord, let them make a, a big impact and let them do it quickly. Lord, there are so many areas of our country that need exactly what he is going to try to uh, do. And so give him God ideas and wisdom and the resources to get it done. Now, Father, we pray for our new president, President Trump and all of his family. Lord, we're lifting him up to you. We are believing that, Lord, you can use him to affect positive change and great change according to your word. Lord, overshadow him with your Holy Spirit. Let him hear from you. Lord, if he's never heard from you before, I pray that every day while he is in office, he would hear your voice clearly, Lord God. Protect him, give him wisdom, and guide him. And be with America in this time. Lord, we are a nation divided, but I believe through the power uh, of Christ, we can come together as one. I pray for our America and all Americans in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.